0: There's this story of this bank in Chicago that was interested in hiring this young man. So of course, the the interview process goes along and they start to ask for a letter of recommendation. So a letter of recommendation is requested on behalf of this man. And when it's sent out, uh, this banker ends up going ahead and sending out to the family and to the friends of the family, and his father ends up writing back and saying how how this man it needs to be recommended for this position because his father is of the Cabot family and his mother is of the Lowell family and goes on and on listing all of these families, the uh, salt installs, the Peabody's, and one after another lists all these families recommending this young man to this position in a bank. Well, the bank looking at the recommendation, writes a letter in reply and says that none of this information is adequate. We are not contemplating using this man for breeding purposes, just for work. I like that story. It makes me laugh because I think sometimes we can get tripped up on the wrong kinds of things. Sometimes we can end up favoring the wrong kinds of things. And here's the beautiful thing, God is a respecter of persons. He accepts every person regardless of their family, regardless of their nation, regardless of their race, simply those who fear Him and live their lives towards Him. And that's a beautiful thing. And today we're going to be talking a little bit more about scriptures that speak to this great love and mercy that God gives us. So let's go ahead and enter into James chapter 1 today. James 1, or James, pardon me, James 2, 1 says this, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show, what? What? favoritism. So again here we see James using this phrase of my dear brothers. We saw him use this before in the beginning chapters in chapter 1 1. And and when we talked about that last time, it was the Greek word adelphos, which kind of in some ways brings this tie, this great endearment. So, in the same way that sometimes I look at you as a body of believers and I say, my church family, my friends, James is in some ways trying to tee up this relationship that he has with this body of people because he's about to bring an important word that can be easily misunderstood or at least taken as a harsh rebuke. So James is trying hard right now to establish a connection and a closeness with these people. Which, by the way, I think is a good lesson to be learned that when we do need to speak into someone's life, especially if it is a word of rebuke, that we should remember our relationship with that individual and continue to establish the fact that we love them, right? So James, in doing that, he says, my brothers, my sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus must not show favoritism. Let's continue reading in verse 2. It says, suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And you see, here lies the motivation of why James is writing this portion of Scripture. See, we're going to see in the the coming weeks that James is working really hard to be able to establish what some of the fruits of faith look like. And one of the first things that James really tries to establish here is this idea of favoritism. In the Greek, the favoritism can also be translated by another word, the partiality. Now, I want to stop and, and clarify this a little bit here and, and, and talk a little bit more of what I mean and what I don't mean. Here's the thing. We all have favorites, Right? Some of us like certain things more than others. For instance, I like my coffee black, and I think anybody that puts anything like sugar and cream in it is ruining coffee. That God intended it to be black. If you were to ask me what my favorite ice cream is, I would tell you really quickly it's cookie dough ice cream. And you're probably thinking, well, no, I like mint chocolate chip. We pray for all those that like pistachio. <laughs> but we all have different favorites, right? But the favoritism that I believe that James is trying to hone in on today doesn't have to do with the things that we just enjoy in life, the things that in some ways that we, we, we enjoy like ice cream or, or coffee or, or fill in the blank but rather the kind of favoritism that diminishes the love and the grace that God desires for each and every single one of us. You see, it is unfortunate, but many of us, whether we verbalize it or not, tend to believe that God picks favorites. And maybe we've read certain stories in the Bible, stories like Esau and Jacob, or other stories that cause us to question and wonder if God just happens to like me less than somebody else. And if that wasn't hard enough, some of us have fallen victim in life to situations where we have felt passed over because of the issue of favoritism maybe as a parent or maybe there was a parent in your life that showed favor to one child and that child wasn't you an employer a friend and because of that you have felt the knife of favoritism in your life Well, here James desires to be able to, in some ways, do away with that. So what kind of favoritism is James specifically illustrating in the verses above? Favoritism with the rich and the poor. You see, if you didn't know, in the Greco-Roman world the way that the, the, the landscape of the socioeconomic incomes for the world worked out was very different than our own. So if you didn't know this, there was about 8% of a wealthy class in the Roman Empire that really had most of the money. And then there was about 2% that were considered in this category of gaining wealth. And those that were gaining wealth were, were kind of people that weren't rich, but they were on their way. They were doing better than the majority of people, but they weren't yet part of that 8%. Maybe they were kind of the middle class or the upper middle class. But there wasn't really a middle class outside of that. Almost every single other individual in this Greco-Roman empire would have been most likely in a poorer class. Around 90% of people would have been in this poorer class. So when James starts to, ta- to paint this picture between rich and poor, he's really hitting on where a lot of these people feel like they're living in. Where they're subjugated by the rulers of that day, by the wealthy of that day, and because of that, they have experienced situations where they feel like life is set up in some ways against them. Have you ever felt like that before? Where life has been set up a little against you? So in some ways, James is trying to pin these two ideas in common. But it's ironic, right? Because if you read the verses that we just read together, it almost seems like James is doing what? He's going against rich people as if that is of some issue to him. But there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, but I think what ends up happening as an issue, at least within James uh, writing this letter to people, is when we start to, in some ways, cast our, our, our lots or, or, or start to favor and give partiality to one sort of lifestyle over the other. Let me take a little bit more time to explain that. You see, I believe there's common examples of forms of partiality, ways that people favor certain things over others. I think some of the common things that we see are favoritism towards ethnicity, favoritism towards a certain kind of sex, an age, an educational upbringing, a faith, wealth, appearance, which can end up being size, shape, attractiveness, beliefs, political affiliations, and as I had mentioned earlier, favoring one child over another. I think these are the common ways that we see favoritism break down and I think James is trying to in some ways highlight this injustice so that he can help the church realize that this is wrong, that it fundamentally goes against the heart and the nature of what God desires for people in this world. Just this past week, I, I had uh, the opportunity to go get tacos with a uh, fellow congregant, Adam. And we were having a, an enjoyable time eating tacos together and talking about faith. And he shared this uh, story that was coming from Max Lucato. If you don't know him, he's an author. And he was sharing a story that I, that I think really applied to this message. And Max Lucato was on a, a plane and, and he had spoken at a conference as, as, as kind of typical for him. And while he was on the plane, he continued to ask for different types of things that he needed from the stewardess, and she kept on bringing back the wrong things. So for instance, he would ask for a pillow and she'd bring a blanket. Things like that would continue to happen. He was getting increasingly frustrated, Till finally the stewardess, recognizing him as Max Lucado, starts to ask him a question, and starts to basically ask him for prayer and for help, and... and She confesses to him that the reason why she's distracted is because her husband had just recently given her divorce papers, and because of that, her whole mind has been consumed with that, so she apologizes for providing subpar services, and in that instant, Max is convicted, right? We tend to do that, don't we? Or we can fail to realize the humanness of the individuals that are around us. And we can unfortunately forget the value that God places on every single one of us. Every single person in this world. God deeply values us. Let's keep on reading. Verse 5 continues on. So it says, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. So here we see that again. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom He promised those who love Him? But you have dishonored the poor Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him whom you belong? You see, again, James is trying to show people here that maybe in your society, even though you might favor the rich, even though you might favor people with wealth and status. It is oftentimes those same people that have come around and hurt you. But yet, when it comes to your very own brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes, oftentimes, the the ones who are poor, what do you end up doing? You end up showing cycles of hurt, where hurt people are hurting people, and you are passing on that same level of favoritism, that same kind of poor ways of treating people to others around you, and it needs to stop. See, one of the things that I believe Jesus was able to demonstrate within his ministry is that he was very much against all forms of discrimination, where somebody would only be valued based off of one of those partialities that we talked about earlier. And oftentimes Jesus was discriminated against, and I think one of the Scripture verses that highlights that so well is just straight from John 3.16, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whomever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. But you see, despite these efforts, despite being the kind of person that stood against discrimination, despite being the kind of person that would continue to share his love with any listeners out there that would receive him, he was almost always opposed. And he did very unconventional things. For instance, his disciples didn't even get it. On one occasion, Jesus was going to be heading back from, Jude, uh, from, from uh, Galilee all the way to the region of Judea and Jerusalem towards the end of his life. So what does Jesus do? Well, he plans to visit the city of Samaria, or the region of Samaria. And if you didn't know, Samaria, the Samaritans had kind of this feud between being Samaritan and being a Jew. The Jews hated the Samaritans, and the Samaritans reciprocated that hate towards the Jews. And these two people butted heads despite having common ancestry. And Jesus, still planning to love those Samaritan people and not show favoritism towards his own kin, but loving those people decides, you know what, on my way to Jerusalem, which we know what happens there, I'm going to make sure I make an effort to visit the region of Samaria. So Jesus sends a few messengers ahead to prepare the way for his coming to Samaria and the So when they get there in town and they start to try to set things up that Jesus is going to be there, the Samaritan people start rebuking the messengers and they send them back saying, we don't want him to come. What's so interesting and what kind of makes me chuckle a little bit is that James and John, the different James, was listening to this happen and their first thought was to say, Shall we call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And He said this, Jesus did not want fire to come down on these people. Despite the fact that these people didn't want to receive him. Now that humbles me. That impacts me. Because I think, as we've talked about today, there are so many moments where I don't always think we see God's love in that way. You know, many of us, I think, are are burdened, unfortunately, in thinking that God's love only comes if we do things right. That if we're not walking the tightrope of life perfectly, that God is going to just be in a place of rebuke towards us and hatred towards us. I'm thankful that Jesus has the kind of character to love people in that way. And it's no wonder that James wants to take the time to remind the church of this kind of love. James continuing in this, in verse 8 says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. James continues to illustrate this point in verse 10 through 11. And he, but we're going to skip it, and I'm going to start at verse 12, and it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Because mercy triumphs over Judgment. Which ties into my main point for today, and that's God's love and mercy shows no favoritism. God's love and mercy shows no favoritism. You know, one of the beautiful things that I, that I think James picks up on here, and, and it relates to the Scripture reading that Preston read for us earlier, is, is this concept of loving your neighbor. You know, one of the interesting things about that verse in Matthew 22 that was read by Preston is this person is, is, is trying to go to Jesus to ask what this greatest commandment is, Right? And he's asking it in a way where he expects one single commandment to be spoken back to him, right? But Jesus can only bring it down to two. To love the Lord God and to love your neighbor. And in doing those two things, we sum up the law. Why is that? Because in that order of loving God, we can then love our neighbor well. You see, church, I think why this portion of scripture is still so applicable today is not just because we as individuals have experienced moments in life where people have passed over us or maybe people have harmed us because of the way that they have showed partiality towards something else other than who we are and maybe have discriminated against us for that, but because I believe that if we can get this love order of things right, if we can allow the love of God to truly come into our lives in a way where we are not holding back what god has for us but we are receiving his forgiveness his love his mercy fully to the greatest extent that he wants to give it to us then i think what begins to change is that we live lives that are freer and that are better reflecting who god is because you see here's the thing if we are showing partiality to those who are around us, if we are treating certain people around us better based on some sort of preference that we have, maybe they line up better with us politically, or maybe they line up better with us because of their age group, or whatever it might be, then we, in some ways, are failing to show the love of Jesus Christ to the world. And this is what James is concerned with. He wants the church of Jesus to be able to properly reflect His love and His mercy to other people. Because when you show favoritism and partiality towards other people, what you are doing in some senses is you are in some ways... Creating judgment. Because you are saying it is better to be this than that. And this is why James in these verses says that you are in some ways being an evil judge. God is ultimately the one who judges. And when we judge things, we need to judge according to His word. But when we start to insert our own judgment, then we become something that God is not. And these scriptures are trying to warn us that when we show favoritism and when we show wrong forms of judgment, that in some ways we are creating a situation for ourselves That could get kind of ugly. This is why James is trying to so strategically remind the people that if they are not careful, they are in some ways bringing judgment upon themselves. But here's the hope, church. Church. The hope lies in the end of verse thing, first verse 13, which, please put that up on the screen again. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Church family. We are living in a time. Where people so desperately need to see the mercy of God through you. Where people so desperately need to see the forgiveness of God, the grace of God. His kindness. Everything that God represents in the fruits of His Spirit through you. You know, one of the things that we should in some ways be excited about, even though it's somewhat of a tragedy, is many of us understand that the current climate of our society is very divided. Speak, people very easily speak harsh words to one another. But what that also means is that when you speak words of grace and mercy into someone's eyes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go noticed. People are going to pick up on that quickly. Because people aren't doing that. So when you do that, people will take notice. And I believe that God wants our church to be that kind of light to our neighbors. You see, we gather here in order to, in some ways, equip ourselves to do these works better. And church, here's the thing. You have some neighbors in your life that need to see the mercy of God through you. That they've been living in a place of judgment. They've been living in a place of pain because of the kind of partiality they've either received themselves or they've given to other people. And they need to experience the mercy of God through you who are the people in your lives that God has called your neighbor? And the story of the Good Samaritan, we know that the person who is the neighbor is the one that offers aid, the one that doesn't pass individuals along but is willing to have eyes to see pain where it exists and then able to offer love in the midst of that pain. For some of you, I know it's some family members that are going through that, some friends, some co-workers, and I want to encourage you today to use those opportunities as a ministry of showing God's mercy so that you can remind Him that the love of God is good and that His mercy triumphs over judgment. Amen? Let's pray.